Welcome to the May 13th, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a randomized Phase three study of patients with high-risk peripheral T-cell lymphoma that compares results from autologous versus allogeneic stem cell transplant during consolidation. Look at a report that examines the significance of ABO-incompatible platelet transfusion on outcomes after intracerebral hemorrhage. And learn about how immune dysregulation, mediated by tumor interferon signaling and myeloid-derived suppressor cells, is associated with CAR T-cell resistance in large B-cell lymphoma. Our first topic is a study entitled, A Randomized Phase Three Trial of Auto versus Allo Transplantation as Part of First-Line Therapy in Poor-Risk Peripheral TNHL, by Norbert Schmitz, from University Hospital in Münster, Germany, and colleagues, on behalf of the French Lymphoma Association and the German Lymphoma Alliance. Peripheral T-cell neoplasms comprise a growing number of entities with diverse clinical, morphological, immunohistochemical, and molecular characteristics. Most have poor prognosis, aside from those with ALK-positive anaplastic large-cell lymphoma. Standard first-line therapy for younger patients with high-risk nodal peripheral T-cell lymphoma consists of six courses of CHOP, or CHOP plus etoposide, consolidated by high-dose therapy and autologous stem cell transplantation, or auto-SCT. Currently, CHOP with etoposide, consolidated with auto-SCT, is the preferred option for younger patients with high-risk T-cell lymphoma. The two largest Phase two studies integrating autologous transplantation into first-line therapy for these patients reported overall survival rates of 51% at 5 years in one study and 48% at 3 years in another study. However, Phase three studies comparing auto-SCT to alternative therapies or observation have not been conducted, and it remains unclear which patients actually benefit from this approach. Since allogeneic SCT performed in patients with relapsed or refractory T-cell lymphoma had favorable results, with approximately half of patients becoming long-term survivors, Schmitz and colleagues set out to compare autologous SCT with allogeneic transplantation for consolidation of patients with T-cell lymphoma. They performed a two-arm prospective randomized phase three trial conducted at 44 trial sites in France and Germany. The study included patients between 18 and 60 years of age who had high-risk nodal peripheral T-cell lymphoma, with the exception of those with ALK-positive anaplastic large-cell lymphoma. 104 patients were enrolled and randomized to receive four courses of CHOP with etoposide and one course of dexamethasone, ARA-C, and either cisplatinum or carboplatinum, followed by high-dose therapy and auto-SCT, or myeloablative conditioning and allo-SCT. The primary study endpoint was event-free survival at three years. Of note, only 34 of 54 patients randomized to auto-SCT, and 26 of 49 patients randomized to allo-SCT were actually transplanted. Of the more than one-third that were unable to proceed with transplant, underlying reasons were mostly early progression or relapse. 
After a median follow-up of 42 months, three-year event-free survival of patients undergoing allogeneic SCT was 43%, as compared to 38% after autologous transplant. Overall survival at three years was also comparable, at 57% versus 70%, without significant differences between the arms. None of the 21 responding patients proceeding to allo-SCT relapsed, as opposed to 13 of 36, or 36%, of patients proceeding to auto-SCT, providing evidence of a strong graft-versus-lymphoma effect. However, 8 of the 26 patients, or 31%, died due to transplant-related toxicity after allogeneic transplant, most associated with GVHD and infections. In comparison, none of those receiving autologous transplantation died from transplant toxicities. In conclusion, standard chemotherapy followed by high-dose therapy and autologous transplantation remains the preferred option for younger patients with peripheral T-cell lymphoma. Allogeneic transplantation can also achieve long-term survival after failure of autologous transplantation and is considered the treatment of choice for patients with relapsed or refractory disease. The authors note that while further refinement in donor selection, conditioning, GVHD prophylaxis and treatment, or use of haploidentical transplantation may improve results, they recommend at this time allogeneic SCT be reserved for patients failing autologous transplant and for patients with the earliest signs of progression or relapse. They also note that relapse remains the major problem following autologous SCT for T-cell lymphoma, and searching for more effective drugs and cellular therapies in this disease is warranted. In an accompanying commentary, Julie Vose from University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha suggests the study highlights several important issues. As previously mentioned, only 65% of the patients who enrolled could actually go on to receive the assigned transplant consolidation, primarily due to early disease progression, toxicities, or sometimes logistical issues. The best chance to get the T-cell lymphoma patients into good remission is with induction therapy, allowing patients to then go to transplant. For example, for patients with CD30-positive T-cell lymphoma, the addition of brentuximab vidotine to frontline treatment may be a first step to getting more patients to transplant. She concludes that improvements in induction chemotherapy, transplant regimens, and supportive care should continue to be investigated in future clinical trials. Our next study is entitled Impacts of ABO-Incompatible Platelet Transfusions on Platelet Recovery and Outcomes After Intracerebral Hemorrhage by Jessica Maggot bernstein and colleagues at Columbia University in New York City. Ongoing bleeding occurs early after intracerebral hemorrhage, or ICH, and results in poorer outcomes in these patients. In efforts to mitigate this, platelet transfusions have been implemented in clinical treatment paradigms particularly in patients with platelet dysfunction as a result of antiplatelet drugs. The PATCH trial revealed that platelet transfusions to reverse antiplatelet medication effects were not beneficial and, in fact, could be harmful. The mechanisms underlying these findings are unclear, but do not appear to be related to platelet preparation method or shelf life. 
The current study examined whether ABO incompatibility contributes to the worse outcomes associated with platelet transfusions in intracerebral hemorrhage. Although platelets carry ABO antigens, providing ABO-compatible platelet transfusions has not been the universal standard practice, the rationale being supply limitations as well as historical safety data. However, data from non-ICH patients suggests that incompatible transfusions are associated with poor platelet recovery and increased morbidity. Therefore, the authors hypothesize that ICH patients receiving ABO-incompatible platelet transfusions would have worse platelet recovery and neurologic outcomes compared to those receiving ABO-compatible transfusions. From 2009 to 2016, the investigators prospectively enrolled 125 consecutive patients with spontaneous ICH who received a single platelet transfusion within the first 24 hours. These patients were managed according to the American Heart Association guidelines with standard ICH protocols previously described. 47 of the patients, or 38%, received an ABO-incompatible transfusion. The investigators found incompatible platelet transfusion was associated with lower platelet recovery. Moreover, transfusion with ABO-incompatible platelets was also associated with an increase in the odds of mortality and poor neurologic outcomes, although these estimates were more imprecise. These results suggest that ABO compatibility be considered if platelet transfusions are needed for managing intracerebral hemorrhage patients. However, the authors note that further investigation into the mechanisms underlying their observations will be important, as well as prospective studies to assess whether ABO-identical platelet transfusions are indicated in this vulnerable patient population. Dana Devine from the Canadian Blood Services and University of British Columbia Centre for Blood Research comments that while somewhat limited by its size, this study is an important contribution toward improving transfusion practice, as well as optimizing management of patients with intracerebral hemorrhage. However, there remains a lack of clarity in regard to the appropriate usage of platelets and day-to-day -day practice where some pragmatism may be required in decision-making based on platelet availability. Additionally, she advises that some issues require further exploration. The study exclusively used apheresis platelets, meaning that each dose came from a single donor. This reflects over 90% of the platelet inventory in the U.S. The expression of level of ABH antigens is complex and can vary widely in donors. The recognition that the ABO compatibility of platelets makes a difference in outcomes for at least some patients argues for a more sophisticated understanding of the characteristics of platelet donors and an appreciation that not all doses of platelets are equivalent. All of this is further complicated by challenges with platelet supply and demand. Ultimately, for ICH patients and others for whom incompatible platelet transfusions may matter, Consideration must be given to strategies to maintain the best platelet inventory. Future clinical trials are also needed to understand which patient populations are most at risk for adverse outcomes from the ABO-incompatible transfusions. Our final manuscript today is a study entitled Tumor interferon signaling and suppressive myeloid cells associate with CAR T-cell failure in large B-cell lymphoma by Michael Jane and Hua Zhao.
and colleagues from University of South Florida Morsani College of Medicine in Tampa, Florida. Axicaptogene sililuchal, also known as AxiCell, is a CD19-directed chimeric antigen receptor T, or CAR T-cell product, approved for patients with relapsed or refractory large B-cell lymphoma. AxiCell was approved based on results from the ZUMA-1 trial that reported an overall response rate of 82%, with an ongoing response in 39% at median follow-up of 27 months. During the trial, over 90% of progressions occurred within six months after AxiCell infusion. Factors identified as affecting CAR T-cell efficacy include the quality of circulating T-cells used for manufacturing, antigen escape due to B19 loss, cytokine levels at the end of lymphodepleting chemotherapy, and CAR T-cell expansion. In addition, observational studies have identified patient factors that associate with decreased AxiCell efficacy, including poor performance status, high systemic inflammatory state, a higher tumor burden, and elevated baseline LDH. Why these clinical factors are associated with inferior outcomes has been unclear. Large B-cell lymphoma is genetically and biologically heterogeneous. The diversity includes both tumor and the corresponding tumor microenvironment and affects response to standard immunochemotherapy. In this report, the authors hypothesize that variable characteristics of systemic and tumor immune dysregulation in large B-cell lymphoma patients may also influence the efficacy of AxiCell therapy. Patients with active disease experience systemic immune dysregulation detectable in peripheral blood, including elevated cytokines, T-cell deficits, and increased myeloid-derived suppressor cells, or MDSCs. A higher number of CD14-positive, HLA-DR-low monocytic MDSCs is associated with higher-risk disease and poorer responses to chemotherapy. The authors therefore evaluated whether immune dysregulation present prior to CAR T-cell therapy was associated with treatment failure. Serial blood and baseline tumor samples were obtained prospectively from 105 patients treated with AxiCell. 86 patients received standard-of-care therapy, 14 patients as part of a clinical trial, and 6 patients received AxiCell under the ZUMA-9 expanded access trial. Responders were defined as patients that remain in remission with a minimum follow-up of 6 months after AxiCell. Non-durable responders were patients that died of any cause or experienced relapsed lymphoma. Jane and colleagues analyzed tumor samples for gene expression and identified increased expression of genes known to be targets of tumor interferon signaling. They also used gene expression results to show that increased numbers of tumor macrophages had the strongest association with a non-durable response. Additionally, they found that high blood levels of circulating monocytic myeloid-derived suppressor cells, or MMDSCs, and a high blood IL-6 and ferritin were each associated with a lack of durable response. Similar to other cancers, they noted tumor interferon signaling in large B-cell lymphoma is associated with the expression of multiple checkpoint ligands, and these were higher in patients who lacked durable response to CAR-T therapy. They also found this was associated with SOX1 and KLHL6 mutations in large B-cell lymphoma. Moreover, 
Tumor interferon signaling and blood MMDSCs were associated with decreased axicell expansion after its infusion. Finally, patients with high tumor burden had higher immune dysregulation with increased serum inflammatory markers and tumor interferon signaling. This is consistent with multivariable analysis of clinical markers demonstrating that poor performance status, likely brought on by systemic inflammation and high LDH related to tumor burden, are key clinical features independently associated with a lack of durable remission. In conclusion, the authors noted that the study was observational and is therefore limited to describing associations in patients receiving axicell therapy rather than more conclusive causal links. However, their results support that immune dysregulation is associated with resistance of CAR T-cell therapy in patients with large B-cell lymphoma. Importantly, the high cytokine levels, tumor interferon signaling, and monocytic MDSCs may be modifiable to reduce relapses after CAR T-cell therapy. In their commentary, Paolo Strati and Sattva Nilapu from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center state that although the study data is based on correlations, the multiple lines of investigation of tumor and peripheral blood samples provide confidence for the significance of these associations and suggest novel mechanisms for CAR-T resistance. Important future work will include identifying the underlying biology that drives high tumor interferon signaling in some patients, including its association with mutations in SOX1 and KLHL6 driver genes. This could help identify upstream factors central to increased interferon signaling that lead to actionable targets to improve CAR T-cell efficacy. Strati and Nilapu also suggest that it is important to understand whether the lower peak CAR T-cell expansion noted in patients with high tumor interferon signaling and high levels of monocytic MDSC are due to impairment of T-cell function at the time of leukophoresis, or instead impact CAR T-cells after their infusion as this would require development of different therapeutic approaches. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.